Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Hoops Royalty Podcast, the only NBA podcast true to the 901. And we're here ecstatic after a Game 2 victory for the Memphis Grizzly, 103-93 to over the Los Angeles Lakers. King, you had a Royal Decree last time. Now I have a Royal Decree today. John Conchar is a deed-owning real estate owner in Anthony Davis's head. What do you think? That one is just too easy. Stamp it. Give <laughs> stamp it the stamp. It. Stamp it. I have a, a, a more basketball-specific version of this royal decree. Okay. John Conchar broke Anthony Davis. Absolutely. He broke him. Conchar blocked Davis emphatically twice in the first half. Catch the video on our Twitter. And Davis finished this game 4-14. for 14. Anthony Davis was nothing like the dominant force he was in the first game. And getting blocked by Jitty definitely had something to do with it. So John Conchar owns Anthony Davis's real estate. John Conchar broke Anthony Davis. Stamp it. That's a royal decree. It's it's a it was tough to it was honestly tough to watch because John Conchar came out of nowhere both times. And and I think plays like that from role players really define a playoff run in a lot of ways. You know, you have you have bigger ones like Derek Fisher's shot for the Los Angeles Lakers. But even these smaller ones get you energized within a series. And I think John Conchar and a lot of the role players, which we'll get into, added so much energy off the bench that would usually be taken, that kind of swag, that energy would be usually provided by Jaw. So I'm glad John Conchar kind of had that moment. And um, I think it really energized um, the players and, and really had them playing with a lot of swag that we're used to seeing from the Grizzlies. So... That was that was awesome to see. So let's go straight into it. It's late. We're teachers. We gotta wake up in the morning. So let's get straight into it. What changed from game one in your opinion? What did you see out there, King? Contrast block exemplified what changed to me. And that was the Grizzlies were the more physical team in this game. Mm. Coming into the series, this was the first time in a while you would look at a Memphis Grizzlies playoff run and say, Hey, they're gonna have to win with finesse. They're probably not going to be the more physical team in each and every series, particularly not against the Lakers, just this huge front line. But that was not the case today. Today, the Memphis Grizzlies gave absolutely everything they had. And I know effort is cliche and it's hard to quantify, but you could just see it in every play. Now, offensive rebounds, 11 to 11 in this game. Total rebounds, 49 to 47. So it's not like the Grizzlies crushed the Lakers on the boards. It's not like they crushed them with turnovers. But when you see Desmond Bain and David Roddy diving on on the floor uh, against LeBron and Anthony Davis, when you see Conchar flying out of nowhere to block Davis, when you see the way the Grizzlies stopped the Lakers' transition opportunities in this game, and most of all, how they kept this big Lakers team off the offensive boards, that's effort, pure and simple. That's that 901 energy. And the Grizzlies brought it. In game and two. this is something I, I just wanted to kind of point out. The front line of the Lakers looked outmatched in a lot of ways that they didn't look like in game one, like kind of like you were saying. But it didn't seem that the physicality changed in any way. It just seemed like some of the players, like Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks, uh, even like Santi Aldama, who had seven defensive rebounds, um, they were just playing with a lot more energy, that, especially down the stretch, than we expected. I expected the Lakers to make a run, but every time they did, there was kind of a defensive presence, a physicality on the, one side of the floor, and then, which we'll get to, a more free-flowing type of offense than we're maybe 
we're expecting to see without Jaw. So um, let's jump into that. What did you notice from the offensive side of the ball that um, kind of our predictions were maybe a, a transition more to half-court offense, running set plays, but that's actually not what we see, and much to the benefit of the Grizzlies. So jump into that for us, King. First of all, if you just look at the box score, it's a very balanced scoring effort. Mm. Xavier Tillman led all Memphis Grizzlies scores with 22 points, followed by Jaron with 18, Desmond with 17, Kennard with 13, Brooks with 12, Tyus with 10. So there you go. You have six players in double figures out of the uh, eight, really, in your rotation. I mean, they played Santi Aldama for 14 minutes, so it's kind of a nine-man rotation, but the eight primary people in your rotation, you had six of them in double figures. And that just kind of shows what I wrote about before this game is that the Memphis Grizzlies actually share the basketball more without John Morant on the floor. Their assists per game go up, and I think we saw that. They weren't looking to run the offense through any one person like they were in game one, frankly, through Jaron Jackson Jr. In this one, it was just whoever is coming open on this play, we're going to hit them, they're going to hit the shot. And more often than not, that was Xavier Tillman, who went 10-13 of from the field, scoring those 22 points, was just hitting every one of those little teardrop floaters we've come to know and love him for. Yeah, and, and I think one thing that didn't show up in the, in the stat sheet maybe is, and I guess it does through plus minus, which looked great today, um, but he, he, was, he was rotating on defense. He looked lively on that side of the ball. There was many times where he kind of stands up Anthony Davis and some of the big men. So he was playing both sides of the ball, which you need. He was plus 10 tonight. Um, you know, these are the, the things that you want to see. And many times he was on LeBron and he was moving his feet effectively and he, he just looked good out there from a defensive perspective. He played a real all-around game tonight um, and it was really exciting to see. You, you saw kind of, zip, even Jaron, um, even though he still saw some of those ISOs, it was just a much more balanced effort from all sides of the ball. Um, and it was, it was good to see. It was also good to see Desmond Bain kind of take some take some agency and, and knock down some shots. And then one thing that we've been preaching since the playoff started, Luke Kennard needs to pull shots. And it looked better tonight. It looked better tonight. Three of four from three-point land, you know, pull-up jumpers. You know, he took agency, he created for himself. Do you think that's something that, you know, comes from uh, Jenkins or something Luke Kennard feels? And, and do you expect to see that more going forward? After he joined the team, Luke said that more so than anywhere else he'd ever played, the Grizzlies were on him about taking shots when mm. he had the opportunity. Mm. That's been kind of the book on him throughout his career is that he's a hesitant but incredibly efficient three-point shooter. But the Grizzlies have been saying, anytime you catch it with an, out, with an inch of space, you let it fly. I would actually like to have seen him shoot more yeah. than he did. This is the second straight game where he, where he shoots four threes. But this time he makes three of four, whereas in game one he was just one of four. And you're seeing the impact he's having on spacing. He was once again plus six, um, was positive in the plus minus in game one as well. And also, this man is out there trying on defense and on the boards. Pulls down six rebounds mm. off the bench. All defensive rebounds, but those are the board-stopping plays you need, clean-the-glass plays you need when you're facing a bigger opponent. You need your guards to come in there and grab defensive rebounds. So yes, is he going to get scored on when Hachimura or LeBron James goes ISO on him? Yes, but he's giving you so much more with his spacing, with his scoring, and even, as we saw, with his energy on the boards. 
so one thing I wanted to talk about, one, one, one thing that was a hallmark of the offense in game one, which was really effective and efficient, was having Jaron go ISO. But we saw uh, the Grizzlies kind of move away from that. Do you like that going into game three? Did you like the flow of the offense a little bit better? I, I think for me, if you ask me before game one, I'm saying go back to ISO Jaron, throw it into him, get those mismatches, and let him go to work. Right? He had 31 points last game. I think the balanced scoring effort that Jenkins put forward tonight, those lineups that looked a little weird at times, a little small ball, were super effective at getting the Lakers out of their comfort zone defensively, getting matchups that we didn't want, and letting our guards do some of the scoring that we didn't see. So talk a little bit more about what you think game three will look like from an offensive perspective. Are we going to see Iso Jaron, let him go to work, especially if Jaw isn't playing, or are we going back to this um, kind of more balanced scoring effort? If Ja is playing, he needs to be more assertive than he was in game one. He needs to be the Ja Morant we've come to know and love in the playoffs. Coming into this into this season, he averages 28-9 in the playoffs. He is a, an offensive force, an unstoppable offensive force, and he wasn't that in game one. So if he is out there, let's just make it very clear, I actually want the Grizzlies to run more of their offense through him, not try to be so balanced because... He sucks in all this gravity, and then that's when Desmond Bain, Luke Kennard, Jaron Jackson, Tyus Jones, and um, the rest of your shooters, including the big body David Roddy, are going to get open looks. So if Jaw's out there, that's the one hand. On the other hand, I think that not going ISO Jaron ball was an intentional move by Jenkins, anticipating the the counterstrokes from Darvin Ham and the Lakers staff. Mm. I think they knew that Jaron was going to get double teamed, particularly if Ja was not out there. Mm-hmm. And so they just decided we're not going to run our offense that way. Um, in game three, I, I think that you've you've got to just adjust to the personnel that you have available, whether mm-hmm. that's Moran or not. And I think that we need to see Desmond Bain getting involved like he did early in this game, but staying involved throughout. Yeah. I would love to get some more Desmond Bain catch-and-shoot threes. He's been cold from three in this series, but you know he's going to heat up. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'd love to see more D- David Rye. I think he adds such so much energy defensively. You know, you see him a lot on LeBron. You know, I, I think there's one point in the game where I turn to you and I say, like, LeBron, look, he's going to pass this off. And granted, it was this crazy bullet pass that went for a layup. But David Rye's forcing the ball out of LeBron's hands. And, and kind of like we talked about, LeBron had a game. It wasn't the most efficient game um, on both sides of the ball. He was minus 17, but had 28 points, um, 10 rebounds, or 12 rebounds. Um, three assists, right? And we, we, we just have to expect games like this to happen. Um, and we, we should honestly expect at least one of these games in LA to have a good game from both LeBron and Anthony Davis, which we haven't seen really. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about what you saw on the perimeter, right? I think one thing that we saw in game one is we got murdered on the perimeter um, you know, you have you have guys like Rui Hachimura, um, D'Angelo Russell cooking us. You know, these role players, you know, cook us for a lot of points um, in, in the perimeter. What did you notice? What adjustments do you think they made in game two that they can hold or yeah, that they can hold on to for game three and four to, to stymie some of this this Lakers offense? They didn't adjust much to Hachimura. Hachimura still, of course, scores 20 points <laughs> on efficient <laughs> shooting. <laughs> They have to let him shoot. You really yeah. don't have much of an option. I, I wrote in my preview that they need to run him off the three-point line. Mm-hmm. 
make him be a playmaker because I don't think he has that in his bag. But at some point, you have to get something up defensively. When you're looking to double-team both LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that's going to leave open shooters. Hachimura is probably the one you want shooting if you look at the season-long statistics. Mm-hmm. But on Reeves, I thought the Grizzlies did a much better job. When Dylan Brooks was not guarding LeBron James, he was guarding Austin Reeves. Reeves looked uncomfortable. He wasn't getting to the free-throw line as easily as he did in Game 1. And they definitely made a conscious effort not to give him open threes. He was just one for three from beyond the arc. You know, he's a good playmaker when he puts the ball on the floor. But he's most dangerous when he's a catch-and-shoot or catch-and-shoot and, you know, quick um, quick pump fake, make one move, pull up kind of guy. And they kept him from being comfortable enough to do that in this game. That is the kind of defense they need to play on Reeves, who's really the Lakers' third best player at <laughs> yeah, this point. which is very surprising. I think if you started at the beginning of the season, you said Austin Reeves was going to kill us and, and you know, Rui Hachimura was going to kill us for a, the game one. You would be, you would be very surprised and maybe call that person crazy. I, I think to add on to what you were saying, the issue now becomes like you just can't let guys like Rui and Austin dictate the game to you and really cash for open three pointers and stuff like that. I think what Jenkins and, and the Grizzlies learned from Game One is like you can let you know you, you really can't let LeBron and Anthony Davis kill you, but they will because they're just that they're gener- they're both generational talents. What you absolutely cannot have is Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura score on top of them. You just won't have a chance. There's no defense that you can play in the world that holds Anthony Davis and LeBron James down for a seven-game series. What you have to be able to close out on and account for is making sure that these guys are covered and taken care of and there's hands in their face and they're uncomfortable. Uh, Rui Hachimura did not look super comfortable. I mean, he... Granted, had a very efficient game, but he looked less comfortable putting the ball on the floor, driving to the basket. Um, he just looked less comfortable doing that today. He still had a great game. Um, but I think that could be part of the... At one point, he has passes up an open layup for a turnaround jumper, which he he hits because he just he's having an out-of-body so experience these last few games. But I, I think he is a little hesitant and um, putting the ball on the floor for him is uncomfortable. And I think that's what the Grizzlies should be aiming to, to do in this next next game. Absolutely. Reeves is a good playmaker. Hachimura has no, no evidence yeah. of that. And so with Reeves, you got to be careful. Yes, run him off the three-point line, but he can hurt you with his passing. That's just not the mm-hmm. case with, with Rui. He ain't got that bag. Now, he backed up his game one performance. Desmond said, let's see him do it again. He kind of did. <laughs> 20, 20 points. But let's see him do it a third time. Now, Desmond, if you get back up on the mic and say that, that would be the most Memphis Grizzlies stuff of all time. <laughs> that would um, be very much 901. True to 901. To your point, Karna, LeBron James has 28 points, leads all scorers in the game, but was a minus 17. Mm. I got something that might seem a little spicy, but this is this is what we're here to do yeah, on, on the Hoops Worldly Podcast. LeBron looks old. He does. He looks he washed. Looks old. He looks old, man. He looks old. Yes, he sees the game so well. When he would suck both Jaron and Tillman out of the paint and then rifle in a pass to a cutting Jared Vanderbilt who can't finish crap, so it didn't matter. But that just shows how he manipulates the court. That he can still do. He doesn't have the physicality anymore. He can't body David Roddy. Yeah. He can't body almost anybody uh, who with some size and strength to him. 
He doesn't look the same. He's not the scariest player in this series. Absolutely not. That's definitely Anthony Davis, and the Grizzlies did a pretty darn good and, job on Davis. And another thing I'll say I think is an indication that he's tired in this series is his three-pointers, right? He takes eight three-point attempts. He's one for eight. The Grizzlies will live with that all day. If, if you have one of their—Greg, he still scored 28. Right, he's just gonna yeah. do that. He's, he's eleven of fifteen inside the arc. If he's you one of the greatest players of all time. He's just gonna yeah. do that from time to time. But one for eight from three point range, that many attempts, that few makes, you'll take it. You'll take yeah. it every single day. Um, now we've talked about a lot of positives, Kim. I want to throw a negative at you. Desmond Bain foul trouble. Yeah, for real. What are the causes? What are you seeing on the floor? Are you worried about in game three? Well, before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about Dylan Brooks, who okay, hit the sure. two of the dagger threes in the fourth yeah. quarter, a really deep one with about seven minutes to go, where then he's all up in LeBron's face. <laughs> and then he hits the true dagger in the, in the final two minutes um, to put the Grizzlies, I believe, up 11. You know, basically close the game out. Um, he, now for the second straight game, played less than 30 minutes. He cannot rein in his aggression in the playoffs. We've seen this over and over again. Dylan is a foul-prone player in the regular season, but he takes it up to a whole new level in the playoffs. And honestly, the Grizzlies need him on the court. We love Roddy. We love what he's doing, but... No one's as good defender. No, no one's as good as Brooks. And honestly, you need him at the end of games, too, with his offense because he's willing to take those big shots. And Dylan is not a good three-point shooter, but for some reason, in the final five minutes of a close game... He becomes one. So he played 23 minutes tonight. Are you yeah. targeting about 30 plus, 30 plus in, the, in game three? He needs to get to 30 plus. Okay. And then Desmond Bain, on the other hand, once again picks up foul trouble. This game he finishes with four, but he played 35 minutes. He's kind of able to work through it because you're not giving him the toughest defensive assignment. Mm-mm. Whereas Mm-mm. Brooks, if he's playing with five fouls, he's just not himself. He can't be effective. So the reason I bring up Desmond Bain, and I would be concerned, there was a lot of times, again, Desmond Bain is on help defense, right? A lot of times, I think two or three of those fouls come from help defense. He's coming across, he's sliding over to provide another body against some of that Laker physicality. I think they target that in game three. If I'm if I'm uh, the coach of the Lakers, Darvin, and I'm, I'm looking at what I need to do, Desmond Bain has 17 points Four rebounds, one assist, but you don't win a game without Desmond Bain on the floor. And if you can limit his minutes lower than 35 because of foul foul trouble, I'm pretty sure you have a much, much better chance of having a Lakers win. So if if I'm the coaching staff of the Lakers, I'm looking to put Desmond Bain in as much foul trouble as possible as early as possible in game three, especially at home. When that Laker, the Staples Center is just rocking, or what is it, Crypto Arena or something? Anyway, um, it'll always be the Staples Center. Uh, it's just rocking. I, I think that you have a really, really good opportunity for your guards to kind of take over, and you still allow some of that um, big man inside play that Anthony Davis kind of struggled with tonight. Yeah. Here's what. I, here's another. Here's a hot take for Game Three. I think it's going to be an Anthony Davis game. I think he's going to have a big game. He's if, he's not injured, if he's not injured, if he's yeah. not injured, if he's not injured, I think he will have a huge game. And I'm not saying I'm not predicting a Lakers win. I just think he will have a 30 plus game. He's not going to let Tillman give him the business. Hey, he's again. not going to let him do it again. <laughs> it's just that's too much to ask for a six eight center in Tillman yeah. to, to hold down Davis for long. 
That being said, that man is made of glass. Desmond Bain going up to get the jump ball just barely hits him in the eye yeah. with, with like the middle of his forearm, yeah. and it draws blood. Mm-hmm. So Anthony Davis making it through a seven-game series would be very surprising. Mm-hmm. That's why the Grizzlies just need to extend this thing as long as they can. They, yeah. Health, youth, intensity favors the Grizzlies mm-hmm. if they get to a game seven. They got to weather three games on the road before then, assuming all those those games happen. Um, and of course, the story is going to be: Can they pick up one in LA? I, I think they can, and and um, I, I think it's going to take a good shooting performance from Desmond Bain to really turn the tide in the series and really staple have some statement wins. Six like, of eighteen yeah. for him from the field in just, both of the first yeah. two games. It's just. He got off to a really hot start in this game and then went totally cold. It reminded me of that 76ers game right out of the All-Star break back in February where Bain scored 20 points in the first quarter and then did nothing after that. Sometimes when he gets off to these starts, he he just cools off. And, you know, people say that Desmond Bain has not been the same since his toe injury. Mm. All the way back in November. Yeah, he missed how many games? Like, he, he missed. He, yeah, he missed basically a month. Yeah. But then it seemed like he just kind of came back because it wasn't getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't one of those situations where he was healed up, ready to go. That may be affecting him late in games. But whatever it is, the Grizzlies need Desmond Bain to go more than six, of, better than six of eighteen from the field, mm-hmm. and they really need him to be better than the four of sixteen that he's been from beyond the arc. That twenty-five percent three-point shooting for Desmond Bain. Not going to get it done. He had some open looks. Those are going to start dropping. And mm-hmm. when that does, that's just another boost to the Grizzlies' offense. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really hardening here for the Grizzlies is that you beat you beat the Lakers without your best player in kind of almost dominant fashion. It never felt like the Lakers were really as in it as the Grizzlies were. It never felt like the Grizzlies were threatened because every time the Lakers would kind of make a run, there would either be a defensive stop Key rebounding, which was a huge thing. Rebound. Xavier Tillman, um, one offensive rebound to put the death knell in the game. Timely rebounding is, is going to be important for this this series, too. There was always something that the, the Grizzlies were doing to kind of keep the Lakers down. Yeah. Um, last thing I wanted to do, we made some predictions at the end of, or, or some things that we'd like to see at the end of um, the last podcast. One of them was Luke Kennard and David Roddy usage. I think either... Taylor Jenkins and the coaching staff are look at, listening to our podcast. They better be. Um, or they came to this thought independently. Either way, it worked out for them tonight. They both look good on the floor. Um, and I think we'll see that continue. Do you see any other kind of X factors coming out in the next game? Any predictions? Um, a Zyre Williams game? A Kenny Lofton Jr. game? Um, any any Santi Aldama Maybe he scores points this time in game three. <laughs> Could not do that in, in this one. At some point, Jaron Jackson Jr. is not going to be able to play the 40 minutes that he played tonight. Mm. Let's, we haven't talked about this. This is the second straight game that Jaron has played, has stayed out of foul trouble against a huge front court that is absolutely determined to get him in foul trouble in the beginning of the game. But there's going to be a game where he doesn't do that. Maybe it's game three. I do think the door would be open for Asante Aldama or, and maybe even for a Kenny Lofton to have a big game. But I also think the door would be open for the Grizzlies to go super small. Mm. Let's see some Tyus Jones. Let's assume Jaw's not playing. Some Tyus Jones, Desmond Bain, Luke Kennard, 
David Roddy, Xavier Tillman minutes. Let's just see it. Spread them out. Look to run on every rebound. Look to force turnovers. And uh, trust Tyus's ability to facilitate. He averages eight assists as a starter. He had eight assists again today. So if you do end up with Jaron in foul trouble, I think that the, the gang rebounding the Grizzlies showed today is evidence that if they do go small, they can still, they can still kind of hang match in Match physicality. Yeah. David Roddy and Xavier Tillman can still match can physicality. It. They don't come in from a high perspective, yeah. but those have always been hitting the weight room or something because they look big, they look strong, they look athletic today. Yeah. Um, That's so, a switch-everything yeah, lineup, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Because Tillman, Tillman doesn't get talked about tonight. He moved to speed tonight. This man guards LeBron and AD. Yeah. He was sitting on LeBron tonight. I was very happy with that. He's also a shooter, 50%. One for two. Bingo. Huge. <laughs> huge. Throwback to the play-in game against Stretch the Warriors four. when Tillman hit two huge threes late in that game. People forget that Tillman as a rookie was a shooter. He seemed to have lost it, but perhaps it's coming back at the right time. All right, King. Let's, let's wrap this up, man. Predictions for game three. What are we looking at? Finals? We talking Grizzlies win. We talking Lakers win. Who's having the big game? Who's not? What are we? What are we thinking? I'm thinking the Grizzlies win Game Three and lose Game Four. Okay. Ooh, I think they're going to take the three. momentum from from this win. The Lakers have to be reeling from the physicality the Grizzlies showed them. Mm-hmm. And if you hear like the national media conversation, even the TNT oh. pregame conversation. They're like, yeah, it would be an embarrassment for the Lakers to lose this game. Stephen A. Smith declared the series over before game two. This was a bit of a shock to the system. The Lakers knew it wasn't over, but they certainly walked into this game thinking they were going to win. And instead, they get punched in the mouth. I think the Grizzlies carry that over in game three. Shocked the world in L.A. Can't continue the momentum in game four. Comes back to Memphis to to I want to comment on something real quick. This is a testament to how little the national media watched watches the Grizzlies. Like they just don't. I don't think they completely understand how the Grizzlies like function with and without Jaw because they don't watch them on a night to night basis. And it's like fairly obvious. Like if you call the series over after one game in FedEx Forum, that's just like a crazy. That's just like a crazy take. I, and that's what they're paid to do. I get it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. obviously they don't watch a lot of Grizzlies basketball, and, you know, we do. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think um, there's any doubt for at least one or two more wins in the series. But I want to see are you, any any change on the Lakers in seven from, from Podcast One? Well, I was saying if Ja comes back, yeah, I'm going to take Grizzlies in seven. Mm-hmm. If Ja does not come back, I'm taking Lakers in six. Lakers in six. I see Ja coming back mm. based on the comments. We haven't talked about this at all, but Taylor Jenkins yesterday called it a tolerance thing. Today said that that he was progressing, that he just needed to be comfortable dribbling and shooting, and then all of a sudden an hour before we find out he's not playing. Mm. There is no major injury, at least not that has been reported. I think he just couldn't handle the ball today. Mm. Give him three more days, more treatment. I bet he can. And uh, I think that, that Sunday was the belly of the whale for the Grizzlies. Sunday was the belly of the whale for the Grizzlies, losing game one at home, jogging injured. They're about to climb out of that and win this series in seven. 
Yeah, I'm firm. Memphis in seven. Jaw, no jaw, Memphis in seven. I, I, I think the team looks good with him, looks good without him. They have the right players. They have a balanced scoring. They have internal defense like you read about tonight. Um, you know, I'm, I'm super excited. I think Grizzlies in seven, um, and I, I'm, I, I'm not changing that. I, I predict – so for my prediction for game three, I think it's a Grizzlies win. I think Desmond Bain has a big game, and I think it's Anthony coming. Davis has a big game. It's just going to who, – whoever's going to have the bigger game. This was a very low-scoring game. My prediction for Game 3 is that the pace of this game was high, but the pace of Game 3 is even higher, mm. and that it is a, a game decided in the 120s, perhaps 130s. Do you think the faster pace benefits the Grizzlies or the Lakers? Absolutely benefits the Grizzlies yep. if you look at the whole season. Yeah. In this series, fast-break points have actually favored the Lakers. Mm. That's not going to continue with how old Yeah, but I, I don't think that that tells the whole story for how the Grizzlies play with pace. I think yeah. some of our data outlets kind of track fast break is the only way to think about transition. Yeah. But the way that they were moving tonight um, was very quick in the shot clock, very just really strong stuff from the Grizzlies, very decisive play from the Grizzlies. Now, that may not be classified as transition, but the shots were going up, they were falling when they needed to, and, and I predict the same will happen in Game 3. To me, the biggest question in this series, it's a pretty minor thing. It's, is this game, game two, evidence that the Grizzlies can hang in the front court, that they can keep the Lakers off the boards, or was this a one-game aberration? Because mm. if the Grizzlies can keep the Lakers off the boards in this series, mm. they will win. Yeah. They have the skill advantage, with or without Jaw. The question is, can Xavier Tillman, Jaron Jackson, and the rest of the crew Rebound the way that they did today. If so, you're feeling pretty good about those the questions will be answered. Those questions will be answered. Game three, we will have an instant reaction and a half court or halftime reaction as well. We will see you there. This has been Hoops Royalty with Karna Vengatraj and King Jimison. Whoop that trick. Yeah, we'll see you.